Okay, Steve, you're you're dying to break some news to the listener. Talk to him. I don't know what's going on. Well, absolutely, I am, and I'm just going to tell you guys about something really special that we have going on. And Jared, I know you're going to freak for this because you haven't heard really the news that we've been dealing with lately. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to give you guys. I'll give it to you straight. Here's what we got going on. We're doing our first ever DFWAG, first ever annual giveaway. That's right. It's going to be your opportunity, listeners, to win a really insane, incredible prize. All you have to do is give us a five-star review on any podcast platform. Give us a five-star review. Make sure to put your name. If you want to, send an email, too. That might help. And we're going to give away... Nobody knows about this yet. This is exclusive. You're hearing it here first. I'll tell you what we're giving away. We are going to give away a signed pair of wooden clogs. There we go. Signed by Vincent van Gogh himself. Yep. If you can believe that. One of the most famous Dutchmen ever. And it's a pair of orange clogs with the Dutch flag on it, of course. The one we love. Pure orange, just a big orange flag as the Dutch uh, wave. Signed by Vincent van Gogh himself, and it's going to be arguably arguably the uh, the most expensive internet giveaway in history. We're going to break the record. So all you have to do is give us a five-star rating with your name. We'll see the date. What we're going to do is we're going to put all those names into a hat. And next episode, we're going to be drawing a name, letting you guys know who it is. And guess what? All you got to do, email us, send us your address, and we're sending you right back a pair of wooden clogs signed by the greatest artist ever to live and the greatest Dutch, the greatest Dutch person ever to be born in the Netherlands. And that is Vincent van Gogh. And he's, I, I, uh, I was over at his house the other day, and I watched him personally sign a pair of wooden clogs. This is the opportunity of a lifetime, and we really appreciate everything the listeners have done for us, everything that Vinny has done, and everything that our our, uh, our new Dutch family has provided for us in our time of need. Thank you very much, and uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you very much, and we'll see you guys next time. Yeah, just a huge shout out to to Vinny Van Gogh, the man himself. Oh, a huge shout out to our new Dutch family and to. Uh, uh geez you know anyone anyone out there who's looking to to leave us a, a rating a review and of course an email at david foster wallace and grommet at gmail.com so excited about this giveaway opportunity i've never been more excited in my life um for everyone listening uh this is david foster wallace and grommet the only officially unlicensed if and adjust fan cast of course uh my name is jared with me is always steve here to discuss all things uh pertaining to david foster wallace's seminal classic infinite jest uh, as well as culture at large and a novella, a short story of our choosing. Uh, Steve, of course, uh, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've pulled in for the night on our, on our journey. We're still on the lamb. We're still uh, wanted uh, by, by Interpol and the globalist cabal. Um, at large, you could say. Uh, yeah, we are at large. We are on the FBI's most wanted list. We are considered armed and dangerous. Uh, but here's the thing, you know, we, we stopped at this, uh, this holiday inn. For the night and uh i i got out the i got out the laptop you know i like the uh the continental breakfast that's what what i really go nuts for at these holiday inns is i like to get i like to get a little plate a little a little paper plate and i like to put some cantaloupe 
and some honeydew on there. Green okay. cantaloupe for okay. for our foreign fans. Wait, wait, wait! Um, time out, time out. Give me the give me the top three. Give me the top three most coveted items at your classic continental breakfast. I'm not talking about the complimentary because complimentary we're talking hot bar. Hmm. I'm talking about the classic okay. continental hotel lobby breakfast. Okay, so not hot. So so I can't go cinnabon cinnamon rolls. I can't do that. I mean, they might have a classic cinnamon roll. They might have a sort of CR, sort of the CCR classic cinnabon cinnamon roll, but it it's probably going to be cold. Okay. Maybe a microwave for for use at your discretion. Mm. Okay, so cold. I mean, Lucky Charms. Okay, okay. In in the little styrofoam bowl. Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, makes I everything gotta go. I know this. The... I know this is hot, but I gotta go with the the best. The, their good old fashioned cup of Java, a good old cup of coffee. Of course. You you know we go nuts for the good old fashioned continental breakfast holiday in coffee. Yeah, yeah. It's better than McDonald's, guys. Look, when, when I walk in, when I'm, you know, no shoes, no socks, I'm, I'm walking down from my room. I got my grubby little feet, like a duck's feet, just slapping on the floor as I walk up yeah, to that yeah, continental yeah. breakfast. And okay. I see that big industrial grade five liter coffee urn. So I'm piping hot Joe, you know, maybe it's the Seattle's best. Maybe it's the Folgers. Can't probably beat it. Folgers. Yeah. Probably a Folgers. Probably a big pot of best. instant. I will say that is the best part of waking up so a little folders in your cup uh thank you folders for sponsoring this episode <laughs> huge shout out to folders for everything they've thank done thank you to us. holiday Inn. thank you to lucky charms we really appreciate everything you guys do for our new dutch family it really just means a lot to know that at this time of uh you know what you know while we're hunted this 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 uh this almost insurmountable divide that's that's been established between us and uh the globalist cabal that once funded us, the NSA goons. Uh, it's nice to know that corporate America has our back, that we are being currently aided and indebted by, indebted, in, excuse me, <coughs> aided and embedded by Lucky Charms, Holiday Inn, and Folgers. Thank you so much to our corporate sponsors on the lamb. Absolutely. Um, and I just want to, I just want to do a little, uh, little advertisement, little teaser for the new rebranded Lucky Charms. And uh, let me tell you something. Much like Operation Greenland is out, the Green Lucky Charms are out. And yep. guess what? Much like Operation Orangeland is in, Lucky Charms, as of next month, May 3rd, 2021, Lucky Charms is rebranding. No longer green. That leprechaun's now wearing orange. Yep. And guess what nationality he is? He's not Irish. Nope. He's Dutch. Yep. Come on. So keep an eye out for that. You can find that at your local Safeway. Uh, Fred Meyer and Albertsons. Yep. Mm -hmm. The David Foster Wallace and Gromit Lucky Charms collaboration. Really Absolutely. excited to debut that. Uh, some of the marshmallow shapes. I mean, gone are the four leaf clovers, the pot of golds, the right. rainbows. Now it's wooden clog, windmill, tulips, braids, um, yeah. a little, a little waffle. Come on. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, no. So anyway, so we got, we got your Lucky Charms. We got your, your pipe and hot cup of Java. What's the what's the third? A good old a good old uh, rind of of cantaloupe. There we go. Yeah, I might have to. You started. I mean, you that's started what I had end. yesterday. Yesterday, I actually had a full cantaloupe. I had to go tell ask the chef if he could cut up another cantaloupe. Yeah, you started the one whole end thing. And, uh, you 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 bite in, and then you hear that sort of typewriter clicking, and just like shoom, launches the rind launches out the other side of your mouth. You hear the ding. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, if I had to go, if I, mean, I had it, to go anything orange, right? <laughs> anything orange that I can get my hands on. Yeah, you know? yeah. If I had to go, my classic top three for uh, continental breakfast, and I'm thinking about my coveted orange foods. I'm probably going uh, glass of orange juice, glass of apple juice. Sure. And uh, and maybe a nice navel orange cut in half with a little spoon. They say they say now hold on a second, Jared. That's how you eat a grapefruit. I say, well, you can eat a grapefruit this way. But a grapefruit, like any citrus, uh, can be consumed any way I'd like. And, and that the same, same stands for uh, a classic navel orange, a classic just big orange, a big orange first thing in the morning, uh, washed Absolutely. down with a little supplementary orange juice. Um, but here's the thing, Steve. I mean, we're not here to talk about the incredible work we're doing with Holiday Inn, with Lucky Charms, with Folgers. I mean, we're here to talk about um, truly disconcerting news that's come across my desk. And full disclosure, before we started recording, you know, I had to confirm with you, you know, is this some kind of prank? I, I reached right. out to our vast network of affiliates of, of uh, accomplices and, and uh, accessories. Right. And I had to make sure, hold on, is this some kind of, is this some kind of prank? Because look, we're at a very sensitive uh, point in our careers, in our, in our escape effort. And the last thing that I feel we need is someone pulling a, a goof on us. Right. But allow me to just read you the email that, that came into our inbox. Now this arrived. Share with us, share with the fans, share with our family. Yeah, for the for our new Dutch family, this arrived April 11th, so yesterday, at um, 6.51 p.m. Mm. Steve, this is from Chef Jeff. The email is uh, xxchefjeffxx69 at gmail.com. Bet no. you thought you'd seen the last of me. Surprise, bitches. Who do you think gave the Latin Kings permission to help you escape? Who do you think staged the carjacking where you got your white Bronco? Who do you think is pulling the strings at the Hague to keep Interpol and other international police forces from swooping in and picking you up like the two-bit escape convicts you are? Who do you think nudged Gustavo to contact you in the first place? Who do you think put on Dr. David Del Monte's radar? Who do you think set up the seven proxies Abner Abdeel hid behind? Who do you think bankrolled Skibs Review? Who, who, who? I wonder, boys, I wonder. My name isn't even Chef Jeff. I can't tell you who I really am yet, all in good time. But I can dangle a tasty morsel of information for you to salivate over. Mark Root, or Rutt, R-U-T-T-E, the supposed leader of your new Dutch family, is on my bankroll. Watch your backs around him, boys. He's a slippery one. I've instructed him not to take you out just yet, but I didn't say anything about Steve's new legs. And there's no sign off. Now, I <clears throat> I went ahead and looked up this Mark Root or Mark Rutt character. And I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for one uh, Dutch prime minister since 2010, current leader of the People's Party for Freedom and Democracy. This is the uh, incumbent prime minister of the Netherlands. Yeah. Am I am I to understand here that the incumbent prime minister is on Chef Jeff's payroll? Steve, can I, mean, I... If, if we are to believe what this supposed Chef Jeff is saying, which if it if this wasn't Chef Jeff, I don't know how this uh, character has the information. I mean, if it wasn't Chef Jeff, how would we have gotten an email from Chef, the official Chef Jeff email? That is, that is the, that is the official email. Yeah. You know, where else, where is, where is there a I mean, now, now Chef Jeff knows, thanks to you, that we've been, uh, that we've been collaborating with the Holiday Inn. We're staying at Holiday Inn, so he can, 
he can triangulate our location based on you know following a line of holiday inns starting in ogden utah what's the I end just, game of chef jeff what is the end game of chef jeff that's the million dollar question on everybody's minds today here at david foster wallace and gromit mobile headquarters and i guess here's the here's the real question chef jeff friend or foe let's let's pick this that's apart let's question. go let's go step by step through this okay uh who do you think gave the latin kings permission to help you escape okay so what we're now what we're now seeing is he's positing that he controls the latin kings or has some kind of high-ranking position therein who staged the carjacking okay so he has a number of let's call them uh uh chaos agents mobile operative stations around this continental united states looking for us uh deeply involved in our in our what i guess now is an imagined heist effort uh not too dissimilar from this week's supplemental reading and imagined uh, scenario an imagined uh, sure, you know potential sure. villainous act um, mm. let's keep reading pulling the strings at the Hague to keep Interpol and other international police forces from swooping and picking up the two-bit escape convicts you are so he's looking out for our best interests theoretically <sighs> who, who nudged Gustavo well it's I mean who nudged he says you know who do you think nudged Gustavo who do you think put on Dr. Wow. David who put you on Dr. David Amante's radar uh, you know who who wow. set up this this vast network for Abner Abdeel uh, you know Skib and these various, uh, you know, international powers that be that he's claiming to be involved with. And I guess we knew to some extent, at least the man that you knew, uh, you know, well, I thought some... I knew chef Jeff, but we, I, I mean, thought you, I knew chef Jeff and now, you chef now Jeff, what's but, happened, but you also understood even then that that chef Jeff might've had some position of power, uh, indeterminate. I wouldn't have had any idea at the time. Not like this. Certainly not That's like this. The, I mean, it's it is the perfect crime. I've got three words for you: Operation Orange Land. <laughs> but I guess I mean I I have to assume you're right. But how? I mean, how would that make any sense? Operation Orange Land is about positivity and forgiveness and and you know uh, empathy. It's about reaching across. You know, it's about reaching across. The, the you know from from one end of the netherlands to the other end of romania and establishing that two-state solution that peace treaty that we were trying the dracula symposium i mean what what would chef jeff want to do with the dracula symposium and everything we're hoping to do with our sort of middle middle europa uh peace treaty what i have to assume is that chef jeff is truly needing us for some of the information regarding operation greenland that we did not disclose on air i think there's a a couple of key components to Operation Greenland that we didn't make public, that we did not uh, divulge to our dear listeners, to our, to our, of course, avid listeners. You think um, he's looking for the coordinates? He's looking for the coordinates. He's looking for the coordinates. He's looking for the schematics. I mean, well, look, he's that's not going to find the coordinates because, as you know, my brainchild is Operation Greenland. I mean, here's and the thing. And as you know, I've spent my life's work on Operation Greenland. Protecting only, it, safeguarding it. And only very, very, very astute listeners of this podcast would be able to connect the dots and know where to find coordinates for Operation Greenland. And with that, I think, uh, you know, maybe maybe it's time we, uh, we get to our weekly discussion of Infinite Jest. And of course, this week we were reading chapters uh, 10 through 15. All right. Now, for all of our listeners, the uh, the peons out there, Chef Jeff and them, they're, they're done listening. They think we're talking about Infinite Jest. For all our astute listeners, we want to talk to you a little bit about some of our plans, about the coordinates, about the schematics, about everything we were really hoping to do. 
with Operation Greenland. Okay, they don't understand that once we harness that nuclear power, it's about rebuilding those silos. It's about arming those nukes, okay? It's about establishing a new geopolitical superpower in Greenland, in the Faroe Isles, okay? Now, they don't want you to know that, okay? And we're telling you, our trusted listener, because we know that you can safeguard oh, this information the way that we have. Oh, sorry. Right. We know you can safeguard this information. Steve, talk to him a little bit well, about- I don't even need to give any information away. I can give out, I can give out uh, basically what I was getting at the whole time. And maybe Chef Jeff and I can play a little game. Huh, a Chef little, Jeff, a little are cat you up, and mouse. Are you up for that? A little bit of cat and mouse? Because even if I give you the location, even if I give you coordinates, even if I give you something to find them, you'll never be able to decipher the code. Because as I've said, I spent my whole life's work on this. I mean, you know, you, you, you know, do you even know, Jared, what I'm referring to? I don't even know if I do. I mean, this what is the I, thing. What have I spent my whole life's work on? Episode 40. I mean, surely you're, you're referring to baseballstats.com. You think I would spend my entire life going through bit by bit baseball stats and putting up numbers on a website? Absolutely not. You want coordinates? You want information? Can you read binary? Get it, go, go online. Go to baseballstats.com. See if you can figure out all this information. See if you can figure out activation codes. See if you can decode you know, I put it through, I put it through years upon years upon years of compression codes. Yeah. And uh, it's in about 10 different languages. Python. Ever heard of that? I mean, you're taking that, you're taking C++? that C plus. Yeah, you're taking that C plus plus code. You're running it through the Enigma machine. You're running it, you're running it back through the Enigma machine. Truly. Oh, yeah. For our listeners out there, the most dense, the most dynamic, the most well-encrypted, safeguarded codex. All disguised, all disguised as compiled baseball stats over the last 70 years. Exactly. So if you think if you think you can go through and uh, and figure out, uh, you know, a, a, a 70 year long Python, uh, you know, you're going to have you're going to have to have some AI blockchain. If, if you're going to ever get close. Yeah. I mean, here's to, the thing. Between, cracking the code of baseballstats.com, Chef Jeff. Between so look, uh, Steve as, and I here, we have a combined... You, you think we haven't spent our entire life earning these combined 10 PhDs, one for me, nine for him? Okay? If you think we're not in a, in a David Foster Wallace and Gromit militarized black site where I just... I have, a, I have a shovel. I have a shovel full of computer processors microprocessors, graphics cards, Absolutely. and I am just throwing them. I am picking them up by the bundle. I am throwing them. We are in, into the blockchain technology to safeguard this, let's call it we the Operation Jest. Greenland recipe. This is an Infinite Jest podcast, not a Tale of Two Cities podcast, This Jeff, is a Jeff. podcast for public intellectuals, <laughs> okay? All right. This is an you, Infinite Jest podcast, <laughs> not, Look, a, not a... Not a Milk and honey podcast, Chef Jeff. Look, I'm over here. I have I'm an over IQ here. over a hundred. <laughs> I'm over here. I have a little brandy sifter here in our room at the Holiday Inn, and I'm swirling that brandy. <laughs> I'm letting those notes waft out of me. I'm in a I'm in a smoking jacket on a Chase Lounge, and I'm looking I'm looking right now through, uh, you know, through the middle distance into psychically into wherever Chef Jeff might be, and I'm saying, look, I took an IQ test the other day. I came out at a cool 142. All right. Do you think I'm really someone to be trifled with? 
<laughs> All right, Chef Jeff. Do you think, look, I, I'm over here. I'm getting off the phone. I got the big 80s brick cell phone. I'm talking to Dave Foster Wallace and Gromit Black Site, the militarized Black Site, where they, in our absence, are shoveling those microprocessors into the, the giant, you know, the ever churning mouth of the Bitcoin uh, mining machine. And I'm saying, and they're saying, sir, we have produced such an unfathomable amount of ozone. We are, something's going gone horribly wrong with our efforts here. And I'm saying, I don't give a shit. Have you ever Keep heard burning. of astrophysics? Keep burning. Because that's them. what we're doing, but in computers. So <laughs> look, look, we are not men of science because science is for weak minds. We're men of data. Men and of baseball. Day, day. <laughs> we're, men of, we're men of baseball. And in the end, data, baseball data, is the only thing that matters in the end. Because if you follow all the patterns, all the scores, all the batting averages, all the ERAs, yeah. you probably wondered... You probably wonder what are all those fancy terms ob on base on base percentage yeah era earned run average mlb <laughs> what could it possibly mean hr home run oh really um i mean here's the thing we actually welcome to a new podcast within a podcast you know you thought you were listening to david foster wallace and gromit mobile a podcast on QM? the run a podcast and then a podcast welcome to inside baseball a podcast within a podcast what's what's qm in baseball well it's not qm for baseball it's quantum mechanics yep or quasimodo <laughs> <laughs> and that's just look much like the character in this week's short story we too are eyeing the prospect of a uh, refuge in france of of a refuge from uh international uh, distance and from interpol and look uh got me saying Absolutely. bonjour and bonsoir we oui, we oui, sweet paris uh <laughs> a la francaise me you know I'll, i go to i go to a french cafe because they call it cafe in france mm -hmm. and uh and i order uh one croissant and and one serving of le cheese and that's french for cheese yep. and i i get uh, it's very stinky but we get you know we get the french delights and the french classics we get yeah. the old limburgers we get we get it with that moldy rind and we eat it with the rind because if if you don't you're a baby and this is what the uncultured people don't understand about this podcast is this we go beyond baseball we also go french you know i look i'm sorry we got a little we feel like a little heated we uh lashed out a little bit against uh against our listeners in tandem with with chef jeff or the man we currently know as chef jeff and uh you know let that be a warning to you yep. all even to our new dutch family i mean we are men we are again 142 okay not to be trifled with um absolutely you know we are men of uh pardon my French, la passion, which is yep. the passion. We are men of the passion and we do, especially now in these trying times after injuries and healing and really re rebirth from, from the ashes like Phoenix, I rise. And, th and this, is, this is our time. You know, we've waited too long. And Chef Jeff, for, for us, is just another obstacle. This isn't a joke to us. This isn't this isn't just some cat and mouse gag. Right? This is this is our lives that we're talking about and we are trying to rebuild and we are trying to be reborn. Uh it, and 
and we are this is now's the time to make the announcement we are converting to baha'i we are converting to baha'i really excited to share that with everyone of course absolutely that goes a little more in tandem with uh, operation orangeland than it does operation greenland of course operation orangeland about peace positivity and uh you absolutely. guessed it baha'i um again truly grateful for this opportunity <laughs> Really excited to get into that. Anyway, uh, you know, Absolutely. I don't, I don't want to run. I'm over the moon if I can say that. If I don't want to run. I am, I am over the moon, as the wanna, proverbial um, cow. Just like the proverbial cow, I don't want to run afoul of uh, our listeners and their patience. So, Steve, how about we get into this week's short story selection? I think we should discuss the short story, and that is, that is to say that uh, we we do tend to spend a, a little bit of time on on stories, on, on our uh, philosophical musings, our, you know, as, as I like to say, you know, Jared does kind of let his, let his IQ spill out through his nose. Yeah. Uh, and he gets really technical and really, mm-hmm. really, I mean, he is an intellectual. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the, you know, a lot of people, that's the thing. Um, throughout the years, a lot of people have embarked upon the the sort of David Foster Wallace, you know, or Infinite Jest uh, podcast, fan cast, Absolutely. but um, they all crumble before us because at the end of the day, they aren't hosted by Ab- public intellectuals, by Absolutely. two men of, of, of extreme, uh, severe Absolutely. learnedness. Almost, I would, I would go so far as to say uh, uh, detrimental learnedness. I would say that both of our intelligence and our many, our myriad PhDs sometimes uh, uh, really inhibit and, uh, and prevent us from uh, being normal members of society. Absolutely. You know, you know, when I walk into a bar in my smoking jacket and people just look me up and down and go, what's going on here? You know, we're again, we're, you know, middle of nowhere, USA. I walk into the bar and I say, you know, I'm going to need a, a glass of your finest cognac. And they say, well, we don't have that. I say, well, maybe a nice, a nice vintage red. And they say, you know, we got box wine. And I say, you know, once again, among the Philistines. And of course I get my ass beat and I get kicked out. Um, like I said, it's de- detrimental intelligence. Uh, is really what it comes down to, which is why, again, so, is, so excited to move to France with other public intellectuals. I mean, we all know that the French people are uh, famously intelligent, um, maybe even collective and, IQ of France is higher on average than any country in the world. Yeah, maybe antagonistically. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, obviously, as a people, they've they've progressed beyond uh, deodorant and makeup and good taste <laughs> at large. <laughs> And again, once more to that, I say bonjour and bonsoir. You know, they are the only country famous for for moldy and rotten versions of other foods, and that's because they've uh, they have surpassed uh, what is what is by the rest of the world uh, normal human standards. Yeah, good and taste they, and they public have, decorum. Yeah, they have uh, gone beyond that. Let's say. And that is something we absolutely admire. We appreciate that about La Francaise is that that's that's a country that we can go to and we can say, oui, oui, I'm in Le Petit Petit Paris. This week, in addition to uh, our weekly uh, selection of Infinite Jest, we read Julio Cortazar's Cortazar's, um, Blow Up. So a very famous short story by uh, Argentinian writer, or Argentinian, and, and at this point in his career was living in France, uh, I oh. believe because of uh, Perón. 
He had, he fled the country. Um, but working in France, writing in France, uh, sort of a classic story. It's been uh, adapted into film before, although I will say the film is wildly different from the the short. Uh, Steve, do you want to do a little synopsis, or should I should I dig right in? You go ahead, and I'm going to do some digging on the film. Okay. Uh, so the short the short of it, um, because it is a very kind of self-referential and uh, and meta narrative where the author is kind of at a point in in the story where he's unaware of his own standing in reality. He sort of lost his footing in reality. So you have these introductory, introductory sections of him kind of tiptoeing around who he is, who the story is about. Is it about himself? Is it about someone else? Is it about the reader? Is it, you know, you're, you're working through the stages of him processing the reality he now exists in, but the story ultimately revolves around him as a, the author as a um, translator and, and amateur photographer who one day when walking along the streets of Paris uh, takes a photo of, uh, you know, potentially a young couple or, or a younger man, older woman, the ages and, and the, the status of this couple kind of ebb and flow. It could have been a mother and son. And uh, upon taking the photo, you know, the two are incensed. The, the boy or the man runs away. He's confronted by this woman who's telling him, you need to delete that photo or, you know, delete the photo, give me the film, you know, what have you. And uh, someone, a third person who he believed was asleep in a car kind of just beyond his line of sight approaches him. And he's kind of the, the narrator is confronted with this sort of new reality of, well, now hold on a second. How are these people connected? What's going on here? He leaves. He, he says, I'm keeping the film. He leaves. Once he gets home, he's sorting through the photos he took for the day. He's working on his translation. He eventually goes about uh, enlarging, blowing up as the, the titular blow up uh, the photo into a poster size. It's like a 32 by 28. And it's in studying this photo over and over and over again that he starts to realize, oh, there was something much more insidious at play with this third person. He becomes more aware of, oh, this woman was trying to coerce or, or, or convince this, this younger man of something that this person pretending to be asleep in the car, they're somehow involved in this narrative. He's working out either something as you know salacious and insidious as um, maybe like a, a, a pimp prostitute dynamic that they were gonna bring this man and he was the, the guy in the car with the added protection. Maybe he was, this woman was to, to grab this guy and then he was gonna be robbed by the, the other man, killed by the other man, what have you. It was a, he was the accomplice to whatever this uh, perspective crime or imagined crime really was going to be. But the reality of it is that our narrator took the photo before anything bad could actually happen. That's the, the true reality, the sequence of events, though the reality the narrator becomes trapped in is that of having taken a photo at the very last instant before tragedy. And because he had taken the photo at the very last instant, the reality he was now forced to live in, forced to relive over and over and over again in this sort of, um, you know, magical realist reality he's constructed for himself, this illusion he's constructed for himself. He is now reliving tragedy over and over and over again, finding himself in the role of the boy, in the role of the woman, in the role of this third party man, eventually kind of dissolving all reality altogether and regressing to discussing the clouds again. I mean, really losing his mind in this photographic enlargement. Um, Steve, what did you, what did you think of, of this 
Cortazar classic. I mean, this is a this is a, a cherished, a beloved story, a, a, a real well known staple in like magical realism as a genre. Right, absolutely. And I will I will make uh, maybe a familiar comparison for some of the readers out there who have been following along. Uh, and this also gives a hint as to uh, who this would be for, or who would like this. Okay. And that is. Fellow Argentine writer Jorge Luis Borges. Yeah, to me, this is this is in a similar category. Yeah, we should uh, consider reading some Borges for the podcast. But, I would like uh, to. Yeah, yeah. This this does feel like uh, the similar. I mean, unreliable or mm-hmm. to the to to some degree even being insane or psychologically unstable type narrators. Uh, perspective changes, that is to say, uh, sort of the separation of the narrator from himself in him referring to himself in the third person in his, as he goes back through the story. It always seems like the points where he uh, harkens back and refers to himself in the third person are more, what was it that I was thinking at the time of reading? I think it was that it was always related to some morality, like moral thing. Right. I, I'd, I'd right. have to review it, but I thought it was no, no. something like. You no, know, you're right, was, because he, he makes for a point moral specifically. Matters, he would refer to Michel, which is himself. Right. Right. Michel. Right. Well, because when he's know, talking about psychological, like. Psychological, you know, Michel sometimes, sometimes lets his imagination get out of hand. When he's talking about the French, when he's confronted and they're asking him to to hand over the film, he's referring to himself in the third person because he's right. discussing, oh, well, you know, I thought the French were such, you know, argumentative moralists, effectively. Right. Um, right. No, you're right. Yeah, there is this so sort there of strange is that separation. It's like he refers to himself conscious in, separation. Yeah, in the conscious third person, he's referring to himself when he's talking about maybe morality or when he's kind of grappling with the his own psychology yeah his his of his actions and kind of the the fantasy he worked up for himself he's saying i when it's a little more when he's come to insert i I mean it really is like i inserting himself into that fantasy narrative and then we're talking about the characters in a more obtuse and kind of roundabout manner when he's working through his various fantasies and i think this i mean what what the film does a good job of conveying despite it being a different story for the most part is that same kind of uh, not quite a mental breakdown, but really the reality crumbling around you of becoming so fixated, so paranoid and and delusional, working through these fantasies over and over and over again, which I mean, I think all of us just as, as regular people are wont to do um, to, to play out scenarios in your head, you know, ad nauseum, um, mm-hmm. that you become so detached from the truth. And I think that's like a really, I, I don't know, obviously it's a very, uh, it's an evergreen concept, but um, I think that's what the, the story does so well is conveying right. that in text and conveying that sort of like quickly jumping thought to thought to thought, fantasy to fear to fantasy going from like, oh, he's, he's imagining this couple in an erotic scenario, but that bleeds seamlessly into, no, they actually are mother and son. And we we don't there there is no erotic scenario but there's the absence thereof and it's 
this very strange kind of dreamlike processing of an events yeah. until eventually he does kind of succumb to his own delusions and his own insanity. Right, right. And it does deal with this, uh, this two-faced or two sides to the same coin reality of, or stream of consciousness imagination type things. Mm-hmm. And that does harken back to, you know, one of the first stories we did read and that is the Oval Portrait by Edgar Allan Poe. You know, these influences. Of, I believe that was for our first Halloween spectacular. I think that was for Jeez. the Halloween spectacular. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is, you know, these are the things that, you know, we we harken back to these themes of uh, that's that is sort of the reality versus some horrific, I suppose, uh, imagination. Or the other way around, imagination and some horrific reality. Yeah. And going back and forth between these two or going irreversibly toward one. Yeah. Right. Is is one of, I suppose, one of the fundamentals of literary horror, though it's not presented as horror, this story from today. There is that psychological element that, you know, does seem influenced by the great horror writers, for example, Edgar Allan Poe and and things like this so that is something to keep in mind when you know if if you decide to read this book dear listener uh this if if that's something you like that's also a reason to check out uh julio julio cortazar i mean i think i think you've made a good point with with poe and with uh horror and and i guess kind of the the way in which like horror finds itself in these kind of magic realist stories or surreal stories. I mean, the, I think we talked about this before. I don't remember what with, but with, um, with dreams too, that, yeah. that there is like a level of fantasy and imagination that is always going to be horrific because when you remove yourself from reality in that capacity, or no, we talked about this with, um, with the calmative, how it's, it's a yeah, horror Beckett. story. Be- yeah. Cause it's a horror yeah. story because yeah. it's just, yeah. Anyway. Um, anyway, what I was saying is I, I like, I like what you brought up with like Poe and with horror and, and how we talk about, um dreams as being inherently horrific and and um, a lot of imagined scenarios as being inherently per, uh, horrific and that sort of paranoia and i think that's this story does that really well with the way that the author himself that the cortazar refers to uh photography as a medium that people should be learning i mean he has this he has this kind of fascination with and this uh this argument for um developing an aesthetic vocabulary an aesthetic understanding and and a craft as photography. Um, and then I think, uh, you know, obviously photography as an art film, a little less so, but certainly documentary in the same way, you're capturing a very specific and isolated moment in time. And in the case of this story, um, and you know, or like any, any number of different like horrific photographs you've seen over the years, I mean, you are, you are catching and, and permanently capturing the moment of of violence, of, of, of some kind of horror, of tragedy, of, of misery, what have you, you're locking these emotions and this circumstance in a glass box forever. And uh, I think that that in real life, outside of the sort of accelerated madness of the story, that in it itself is like a very damaging and disconcerting phenomenon. This isn't like my polemic against photography or against visual art in that, in that way. I just mean that is something right. that that does certainly happen. I mean, if you were to hang a photo of someone at, at you know, being executed 
uh, in your home and you were to look at it every single day, that is certainly going to contribute to your uh, mental and emotional decay. Absolutely. And that, that is, that is something that's been touched on with some of the more, you know, I won't name titles or anything, or I mean, we could, but uh, some, some more famous uh, novels as well that deal with these same types of themes. You know, I mean, that's kind of the idea of Dorian Gray. I mean, yeah. we, we have this obsession with uh, not before photography, right? It was painting. It was yeah. still life. It was capturing, I mean, romanticist painting is mm -hmm. taking a snapshot image of war or very brutal acts of violence. Yeah, trauma. And, and keeping them to be put into a museum effectively mm -hmm. and taking these, these very human things and then putting them in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. And therefore we, you know, we slowly but surely can remove ourselves from human events, if you will. And that also has to do with this kind of flipping back and forth between reality and imagination is you, you know, that's another thing that photography does to us. We flip back and forth between reality and the reality in the photograph, right? This yeah. is why this is why it starts out with cave paintings and goes all the way to where we are right now, which, uh, which is hypersaturation of photography yeah. every day. I mean, humans... Well, it's a, it's a self-induced surveillance state. I mean, it's yeah, breaking down the subject observer... Right, of course, barrier, and, then, yeah. and then we go into video from there. Right. right. So, you know, it's a fear, it's a horror subject, it's all of these things. However, it's something that we will always want, I'll say, quote unquote, want. I mean, I'm not sure, maybe subconsciously want, but it's something that we will always gravitate towards. Mm -hmm. you know, You're 100% right. And I mean, that's in a... some bizarre way. No, you're right. And that is like, and that's a big part of the way this story is structured as well is that in yeah. in pushing ourselves beyond that barrier of like i said subject and observer and becoming more and more involved in the emotional investment and the okay. emotional the the draining emotional uh sort of involvement of of this sort of medium i mean there is a there is a cost of your humanity potentially yeah, yeah. there's a gravitation um, towards it in spite of yeah. this fear and and in this story you do have him going back and forth between first third second person and embodying these yeah. various characters because he has effectively stepped into the photo and yeah. in the same way that throughout history people have yeah i mean sort of yeah. lost themselves in in a medium yeah. in in the uh, evocative nature of the medium and and what have you um yeah. and that's the disconnect and the distinction between right. him in the first person and him in the third person referring to himself separately and that is that is a fear that we do live every day and uh you know it is something for example the mugshot of chef jeff is a snapshot of real life and real situations violence and fear captivated and put in a vacuum such that we see it everywhere we go and that is our great fear yeah. and and the one reality that we strive toward that we gravitate towards is the reality of operation orangeland and living in in uh, the Dutch paradise, as we call it, the land of the oranges. Exactly. And uh, I think at that, unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to talk about uh, David Foster Wallace's seminal classic, Infinite Jest, and our reading thereof this week. But next week, we'll be back at it. 
Um, really excited to talk more about Infinite Jest. Um, Steve, next week we Absolutely. will be reading um, uh, The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. And that is to go into how we found Baha'ism and how we, we really have found some degree of peace and calm in this storm, uh, sort of a chef's storm, yeah. uh, a head chef's storm, and that is of Chef Jeff. And the, the, you know, the, the wind and the waves of Chef Jeff are coming our way and we do our best to stave it off. Yeah. And that is through, through the prophet and through prophecy and through the stories of Khalil Gibran, where he discusses love and, and mm -hmm. fear yeah. and, and really some of the, and really some of the, some of the lesser known human emotions, love and fear. Some of those more and abstract and, and, and dynamic human emotions. And, you know, really exactly, when in, exactly. in thinking about and thinking about the prophet, it just really inspires me to say Baha'i to you and a Baha'i to me. And, uh, and I, we just want to say goodbye. Yeah. Baha'i and a goodbye. No, for everyone, for everyone out there listening, be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Of course we have that, that giveaway coming up. Um, listen on Spotify Absolutely. and Apple podcasts. Um, Shoot us an email, DaveFosterWallaceAndGromit at gmail.com. Oh, get us trending on Twitter and Instagram with the hashtag, uh, hashtag ChefJeffStorm2021. Chef oh, um, let people know about the imminent Absolutely. wave and the, the, the hurricane Chef Jeff that is inbound. It's, it's coming his way, yeah. It's yeah. coming his way. Hurricane, hurricane Jeff, watch out for it. So. Hur hurricane Jeff, watch. We're call us Storm Trackers, Hurricane Jeff, watch 2021. All right, thanks, Absolutely. everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, take care.